Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Michael, have you got a minute? What a painful week for Ferrari at home. As Red Bull rain on Ferrari's parade. Home field advantage for Ferrari? What home field advantage? I don't know if Mick is actually related to Michael. It's lights out, away we go, and unlike yesterday, Verstappen gets away well this time, as does Sergio Perez. Leclerc, little slower, uh, getting off the line, and he's already been passed by Sergio Perez. Verstappen leads into the first corner ahead of Perez on the inside, Lando Norris gets third place ahead of Charles Leclerc. Bad start from him. Lewis Hamilton getting past Fernando Alonso. See, there's a bit of a hole there already, and there it goes. Some light class zero to one rain within the next 30 minutes. It might push people to try and extend this. And Leclerc moves over to the right-hand side to try and block off Perez. Perez eventually does find a bit of space to squeeze past and retake that position. This is the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton pitting. Was this an unsafe release? Five-second time penalty for Esteban Ocon. Oh, oh, oh. And Charles Leclerc oh, goes into the barrier at the very anti-alter. Now, he's kept the car going. He's kept everything running. Oh, One Ferrari broken. already out. And another Ferrari potentially out, because I think he's got damage to his front wing. This has been a very comfortable win indeed for the defending world champion. He's coped with the rain here this weekend. Max Verstappen wins the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. And with that, hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors podcast, and I'm joined by the soon-to-be blue-flagged backmarkers, F1 journalist Ed Spencer mysterious F1 Twitter menace unpaid intern and our very own Nico Hulkenberg, Joe Spagnoli, who's here to discuss his home race. So gentlemen, what did we learn from this race? I feel like we had a very, very weird finish. A lot of people in places that I wasn't expecting them to be. We had two Aston Martins in the points. Carlos Sainz stuck in a gravel pit somewhere. Lando Norris came in third. Bottas came fifth. What the hell happened in Imola? Joe, it was your home race. How are you feeling? Return to a classic track, return to normality, relatively speaking, for the championship. After the first three rounds, it was looking 
so weird. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, these title titans from last year, battling for fifth in the championship. Red Bull relatively nowhere compared to a Ferrari team, which in both drivers and constructors were shooting off into the distance. One race later, completely different. Red Bull, their first one-two in the best part of five years. Um, firmly in the title hunt on both fronts. Max Verstappen has an unbelievable weekend. As for Ferrari, from top to bottom, a clangor on home turf on a track that's named after their founder. It couldn't have been much more embarrassing. And even on the individual driver level, we've been wondering where Charles Leclerc's mistakes have been. Well, we got a massive one in that race. That would have been a stupid move into Varianta Alta in a GT3 car. In a Formula One car with much lower ground clearance, it was borderline suicidal. The mistakes are definitely still there. Fair play. This race was crazy, man. And this isn't just the race. The whole weekend was just out of control, especially with the rain. I feel like the rain played a bigger role this weekend than a lot of people realize. Everyone was just all over the place. We had Albon's brakes blow up again. Well, I shouldn't say again. It wasn't him in testing. It was Latifi whose brakes blew up in testing. But Williams just had a brake explosion again. Um, We had another sprint. And I always wondered if the sprint at Imola would work. I still don't think it kind of does. I still feel like it's kind of mid. I feel like sprints in general are mid and don't really add much to the overall weekend. But like, whatever, it was still kind of nice. We saw we saw a pass for the win, so I guess it was cool. But then we got to the race. Uh, Hamilton did up Monaco 2021. Just decided, you know, I'm just going to chill behind Gasly the whole race. Uh, who else? We saw Aston finally score points. And they're so lucky. Oh, my goodness. I took a break from YouTube. I took a break from YouTube, and I was contemplating, yo, should I make a video roasting Aston Martin for Australia? Or should I I give them, should I let them off the hook? I did, and look at that. They scored double points. Well done. Um, Watching this race as a Magnussen fan was fun at times, and it just became, ugh. He really, really should have started that sprint race on softs, man. I swear. mm, Goodness gracious. But... Man, overall, another another interesting chapter to the F1 tale. I can't lie to you. I'll get to Leclerc later, by the way. Well, wouldn't you know it? A race that isn't on the car, that isn't around a car park, is actually all right. Who would have thunk it? Um, yeah, a bit of a slip and slide weekend for Formula One, and we we had it as we had all the chaos in practice when no one be, seemed to be able to control their car qualifying. We had. 10 million red flags. Uh, the sprint was not bad, but it wasn't, it was, a bit, you know, next. The race, I think, was a bit of an interesting affair considering the fact that, actually, no, I thought it was rather dull. But Verstappen was pretty faultless. Apart, you know, he pretty much was running away from that, from the, from Perez and the clerk right from the word go, although the clerk had the added problem at the start and he made a Bit of a clangor of Alta, but I think he'll get over it. I think he was trying to take that corner like he was when he had his spin throughout the weekend, and eventually it was going to bite him. Perez, again, second place. That contract extension surely is going to be right in his lap uh, very soon. Norris, who would have funk it? From nowhere to podium in the matter of four races. Science, oh dear, oh dear. Yet again, in the gravel trap, and about two laps of racing completed in two races. Yeah, there, there's going to be questions over what happened this weekend. Shout out to Aston Martin. They got at a good weekend with 
you know, double points for Seb and, and Lance. And P5 for Valtteri Bottas. Intern will be well chuffed to see his man get a good result for the Italian team on home soil. He had to he had to do something for the Tifosi after whatever the hell happened on lap one. So fair play to him. Fair play to Yuki as well. Alpha Tari are Italian. And he came like P7 from 12th, I think. That's crazy. He did. And this is what I mean about this grid being really, really strange. Kind of just the results are, are baffling to me, to be honest. Most particularly Lando Norris in third. Because I think even he said after Australia, oh, you know, it's not going to carry on like this. Like This is just for Australia. It's just because the track suits us. We'll go back to being rubbish next time. And lo and behold, they qualified really well, did well in the sprint. And it was only Daniel Ricciardo shunting Carlos Sainz, poor sod, that meant that they didn't have two drivers probably in the top five or at very least in the top 10. So very, very strange times, very strange week. And like you said, in turn, it's another really interesting chapter in this F1 season. And so far, I don't think we've had a truly boring, fully going as expected race. It has not been predictable by any stretch of the imagination. I have a question, though. Do we think that Red Bull have finally fixed their reliability issues? Because lo and behold, both drivers actually, one, finished a race and got a one-two. So, Ed, what do you think? I think it's too early to call. I think with Red Bull, their car is extremely quick, but it's been at times unreliable. But it seems to be a little bit better compared to what it was after the flyaways when they had that issue. It seems that the improvements back at Milton Keynes has actually paid off. And I think now we can really see them get a little bit more close to Ferrari, who I think played a very risky game by not bringing any developments, although I can understand why they didn't bring any upgrades because of the fact they had the sprint and they thought it would be wasteful to, to use it when you have such little practice time. But I think Red Bull are definitely back in the hunt now and the reliability should be improved. Whether it will actually, you know, be improved and you know Red Bull can finish more can Red Bull can finish at both cars finishing the race remains a question to be answered in a week's time in Miami. We saw Daniel Ricardo popping into the Ferrari garage afterwards, presumably to apologise to Carlos Sainz. Do we think that he owed Carlos Sainz that apology? I, I would imagine that was probably a bit of a tense conversation, Joe. I mean, I don't, I don't think Ricardo's overwhelmingly to blame for that. I look at that and I just think racing incident. That that inside curb combined with the tricky conditions combined with. Imola being you know, the width of a needle at best was always going to result in contact. It did throughout most of the junior races and those cars are considerably smaller than these ultra-wide F1 cars. It's just a situation where Sainz is about as far on the right as he can be. Ricardo loses traction on the kerb and goes into him. I, I, there was certainly no malice involved in it. But again, kudos to Daniel Ricciardo for uh, for going to apologise personally after, if that's what he was doing. Um, well, if, if he has to apologise to anyone, it's to the team, because post-sprint, that weekend devolved very quickly for Daniel Ricciardo, and soon after singing his praises back in Jeddah, and <laughs> back in Jeddah, it looks like he's miles away from Lando Norris again. Just to quickly weigh up on that, I think I initially thought it was science's fault, because I thought he'd turned in. But then I engaged my brain and actually realised it was a bit of a racing incident. And I think Daniel does owe Carlos maybe a couple of beers, but I think Carlos owes Daniel a couple of beers because I think they both played a part in their incident. Um, again, Daniel Ricciardo not having another good day. 
and being involved in a start line incident, unfortunately, is nothing new these days. Um, he was he had his race completely tanked in Hungary in 2021, and he needs to. He seems to always get involved in these, and it's not it's not his fault. Um, but yeah, not a good day for Danny. Not a good day for Carlos either, especially when he signed a two year contract. I mean, I'd I'd much rather have the DNF after signing the extension than before. This is very true. And I think as well, especially when we were hearing rumours that he was struggling with that negotiation as well for his contract extension, that he wanted two years and they only wanted to give him one. I can't imagine that he's feeling too great coming out of that, coming out of this weekend, having DNF'd. But like you said, at least he did it after he got the extension and not before. One thing I really want to get your thoughts on in turn is how you're feeling about your man, Fernando Alonso, DNFing. He has two points, bro. bro. He has two points in four races. I can't take it, man. I really like. Okay, so I admit that in Bahrain he was pretty mid. I know he had car issues because he's he's literally had car issues every round except this one. And of course, the one round he doesn't have car issues, someone decides to make their car his issue. Brilliant, right? So. He gets the two points in Bahrain. We go to Jeddah. Looks like he's going to get points. His car dies. Fair play. We move on to Australia. Looks like he's going to qualify P4. His car dies again in quali. Ruins his race because it causes him to start further back. This time, he's just minding his own business. Mick Schumacher decides, you know, I'm, I'm going to spin right, right here specifically. Hits him picture perfectly, Right? Nothing less, nothing more. Just just enough to ruin his car. Alonso's out again. But I'm not worried. I'm not worried because it'd be one thing if his form was off. Like, I don't care if you have bad luck, bro. If your form is on point, you'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. He's gonna I it, it he needs to score points soon. Alright, because the Piastri shouts are glaring. Everyone wants Piastri in F1. So if you're in one of them Alpine seats, you can't be slacking around. But I don't think he is. So another race of bad luck. Stuff happens. He'll he'll be fine. I really hope so. I really hope so. Now, gents, it's time to do probably the only grid walk that we will ever do. And that is to walk down Gossip Grid. Welcome to Gossip Grid. The part of the podcast where I impart unto you, dear listeners, the latest whispers flying around the paddock. This first piece of gossip I have for you today is the rumours that a driver swap is on the horizon. Yes, silly season is starting early this year, it seems, with the journalist reporting it, claiming that one driver in the swap will be a surprise, but the other won't be, and also claiming that one of the drivers will be coming from a team associated with the colour blue. Ted Kravitz is throwing fuel onto the fire by claiming that Williams are interested in swapping Piastri into the team, although Gasly, Ricciardo, Alonso and Lewis Hamilton's names are all being thrown around on social media. Who do you think will be swapping should these rumours prove to be true? The second tidbit I have for you today is one that Ferrari won't be too happy about at all. Following Carlos Sainz's incident early in the weekend, a photographer shot some rather detailed pictures of the floor of his Ferrari as it was being lifted onto the recovery truck. Cue this man's DMs being flooded by teams asking for the high-res originals, no doubt. Car details like this, especially on one of the best-performing cars on the grid, are always something that teams like to keep close to their chests. 
So there's no doubt in my mind that the Scuderia is less than pleased to have these pictures floating around for any Tom, Dick or Toto to see. That's all the gossip I have for you this week, dear listeners. But rest assured, my ears are always open. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I have to know, I have to know, who do you think are the two drivers that are involved in this driver swap? Ed, have you got any guesses, please? Well, Demetrius, a Greek journalist and a friend of mine, has said that it is going to, it could be Piastri uh, for Latifi. And also Callum Eilat was briefly in the running as well for that seat, which would have been a mega shock, uh, considering everyone is begging for Piastri to come in. Uh, just a couple of other pieces of gossip. Um, Nils Wittich and Eduardo Friesen have tested positive. But I think there is a certain Australian who is currently waiting to go, ready for his Herculean comeback to Formula One. It has to be Piastri to, with Latifi. Like, why not? Like, what would, what would you even lose? We can hold Yast Capito to his words, too. He's, he told us last year he didn't need no pay driver no more. All right? You say you ain't need no pay driver no more. So, if you want two serious drivers, listen, Latif, I don't think you're garbage or anything, but, like, you are clearly not the best that this sport has to offer. I, I don't think that's a hot take. I don't, I don't hate you. I don't think you're even that bad a driver, but you're definitely, to me, the least talented on the grid. And if, if Piastri's itching, if Alpine want to pull the trigger and get this guy some race experience... Williams isn't that bad a car. I mean, it's it's probably the worst car on the grid, but it's not a bat marker. I said it before that there are no real bat markers on the grid today or this year, rather. So if I, I think it would be in Alpine's best interest if they got Piastrian. But again, a mid-season driver swap is rare. So at the end of the day, this is just gossip after all. Mid-season driver swaps are pretty normal, to be honest. I think there's only one season in the history of Formula One where there hasn't been a driver swap of some kind for whatever reason. But the journalist who broke this story and was 
suitably oblique about it was Alberto Fabrega, who's the same person who broke the Albon to Williams scoop before anybody else did. And the way that they framed this is the driver leaving this particular team, let's just assume it's Williams for convenience, is not a surprise. Ergo, it's Nicholas Latifi. The driver coming in is a massive surprise. I don't think Piastri is a big surprise. We know Alpine want him on the grid as soon as possible. We know that there are financial incentives for them to do this. We know that Alpine will do literally anything to line up a customer engine team in the near future. I think it would make perfect sense for them to leech a driver from their closest competition in the field, Nico Hulkenberg, because let's be honest, the Aston Martin drivers just can't seem to stop catching COVID in the last couple of years. Bring in Nico Hulkenberg as a senior mentor figure for Alexander Alban. You get two great development drivers in and it makes less sense than Piastri. So Fabrega's talking correct. I mean, that's a surprise in the same way that, a, that an unexpected slap in the face is a surprise. I'm not sure I was thinking of that level of surprise. I nearly fell off my chair when you just said that name, Joe. Honest, Honestly, I did. I heard someone trying to claim that Stoffel van Dorn was the most likely replacement. So <laughs> I assure you, Shannon, it can get a lot more ridiculous. Roy Nassani <laughs> is technically on Williams's books and he had a great weekend in Imola. Oh, wait, check the highlights. Okay, it's silly season, not ridiculous season. Are you sure Giovanni Lavaggi's been in the in the reckoning now? I mean, he's he's still technically good enough to drive a Formula One car, and I can hear Joe, I can hear Joe in the background shouting "f off" to me with sign language. Um, Yo, man, run me their last world champion, man! Run me their last ever world champion. He still got it. P twenty two in the Daytona five hundred. Villeneuve still has it. He still has it. Williams, run him in if Latifi is continuing. To make errors, run Your him back. Your nerve agenda is undying and loyal in turn. It really, really is. Should we just go the whole hog and get Alain Prost in as well? Listen, I think we need to stop this silliness now because we are veering into the territory of insane. And I'm going to change the subject. I'm going to force it. So with the success of Drive to Survive in the States... F1 has gained new popularity in the US, and with that in mind, we are going to turn our attention to the 1984 ill-fated Dallas Grand Prix with Ed Spencer. Dallas, 1984. A city globally and domestically on the rise. This was the first time the Dallasites had ever played host to a Grand Prix. The hit TV show Dallas was at the peak of its popularity, and J.R. Irving was one of the most unpopular human beings on the planet. With Formula One leaving Long Beach at the end of 1983, Dallas stepped up to the challenge of hosting the sport's second American Grand Prix. And with a circuit constructing the Fair Park section of the city, as well as celebrities such as Jimmy Carter and Sterling Moss rolling into town, it promised to be a grand occasion. But the organisers hadn't accounted for one tiny thing, the searing Texas heat. As the temperatures climbed to 100 outside the car and 140 inside. The drivers needed ice and cold drinks. Then, as if it wasn't bad enough, the 26 drivers were being turned into human creme brulees. The track, which was hardly the American equivalent of the infamous Nordschleifer in Germany, proceeded to break up like badly stuck paper mache. American know-how was loudly whistled in to repair the damage, but it was all very last minute and last gasp. The usual rule had been waived about testing a new Grand Prix circuit with a lesser event first. The usual rule was thus proved expensively 
to be a good rule. The warm-up got cancelled through the quick-drying cement put on to save the circuit from completely falling to ash after the supporting Can-Am race had chewed the already crumbling surface to bits. It wasn't set until 30 minutes before the start. Martin Brundle won to start the race after breaking bones in both his feet in an accident during practice, and Philippe Alliot would be watching the race from the sidelines after his Ram team had failed to get his car repaired in time for the race start. Amid all the chaos, Lotus secured their first front row lockout for six years, with Nigel Mansell securing the first pole position of his Formula 1 career alongside Elliot DeAngelis, and countryman Derek Warwick was a good third for Renault. Championship leader Alain Prost started seventh, two places behind Nicky Lauda, his closest rival for the championship. Lauda would get a clear run into turn one after four-place man René Arnoux stalled on the formation lap, with the Frenchman having to start the race from the back of the field after picking up a misfire as he started his Ferrari engine. At the jump, Mansell got a clean getaway from pole and swanned off into the lead with DeAngelis holding second from Warwick and Ayrton Senna as the field screamed through turn one. Arnoux should have been up there too, but his Ferrari had a misfire on the parade lap and had to start from the back, an annoyance which fired him up for what was to be his fine tingling performance. For now, though, he was nowhere in evidence. Nor was Piquet. Mansell, DeAngelis and Warwick steamed on through the heat. Senna then attacked Warwick and Julie came off second best, spinning out to the point, whilst Francois Aino and Ejiva Julie exited stage door right as a course car unexpectedly entered the circuit before being pulled off again, much to the amusement of the already annoyed global television audience. Warwick quickly dispatched DeAngelis for second, and set off after Mantle, with the Italian quickly losing third to Lauda, as young Stefan Beloff was the next to retire on lap 9 after clattering the wall. Warwick then tried to take the lead off Mantle on lap 11, only to lose the rear as Red Eye slammed into the tyres, promoting Lauda to second, but not for long, as DeAngelis repassed the Austrian, whilst the TV cameras continued to miss key elements of the race. The concrete walls made every corner a blind one. There were places where the surface was so bad that the right line was the only line, so they all had to queue up. DeAngelis wasn't done yet. He wanted the race lead, and after taking second back, he challenged Mantle for the race lead, only to find the Brit was blocking, causing a few gritty teeth on the Lotus pit wall, before they relaxed again, as Keki Rosberg found a way past DeAngelis. Hugh Rottengart's retirement lap at 18 may have not been significant in the outcome of the race, but the Dutchman's retirement was a painful one as the fuel leak had soaked through his overalls and burnt his genitalia, forcing him to run into the stands to find some cold liquids to call his flumping never regions. Up at the front, Rosberg continued to try to get past Mansell. Mansell was still fending off Rosberg with a thoroughness to which the Finn later took public exception. Prost, as was his right, took advantage of the situation, which didn't improve Kege's mood. The furious Rosberg got second place back again pronto. Mansell clipped the wall and folded. However, Pross wasn't content on finishing second, and he eventually got past Rosberg for the race lead. Not that anyone had seen it, as CBS had completely missed the overtake. As the race entered its closing stages, the retirements continued to mount up, with Senna going out on lap 57 with a dry shaft, Alberetta on lap 54 after a spin, Prost on lap 56, and most shockingly of all, Lauda on lap 60 with a spin as the track continued to fall apart. Thankfully for the drivers, their ordeal would be over shortly after, as Rosberg took, took Williams' first win of the season ahead of the hard-charging Arnoux and DeAngelis. But the drama wasn't over yet, as Mansell's gearbox gave up the ghost at the last corner, forcing the Brit to push his car over the line in the extreme heat. Already exhausted, he tried to push the car home, but the heat had taken its toll. 
He lost fifth place to Ginzani, but was given sixth, not just out of compassion, but because there was scarcely anything left out on the track except mangled wreckage. His tenacity paid off as he snatched a last world championship point in spite of him dramatically fainting over the finishing line. After the debacle of the inaugural Dallas Grand Prix, Formula One wouldn't visit Texas for another 28 years, with America not getting two races until 2022, with next week's Miami Grand Prix. It's always bigger in Texas, especially the heat, as Herb Rottengarter found out, much to his unfortunate peril. I mean, that's a little piece of F1 history that I have never heard before. I never realised that we had flambéing nether regions as a problem in this sport, but I guess that's why we have fire retardant underwear, right? Now, what I'm not going to let us do is descend into another conversation about underwear like we did last week, because I think we went a bit too far. But I do want to talk about some F1 news, and that's something that actually has come out today on our day of recording, that all of the teams have unanimously agreed to move forward with six sprint race weekends in 2023. Fans of the sprint race, you are all not. Uh, how are we feeling? Just, oh my, it's not good. Sprint races are not good. I, do, I don't get them. I don't understand. Like, why, would you, why would you set a grid? On you know you know how much cooler this race would have been this past weekend if if like we had just done the race based on Saturday not even Saturday Friday qualifying any idea how good this race would have been how awesome this race would have been if we had just you know because I I don't like the fact that you set the grid based on your ability to race through the field because that's what the race is supposed to do you're supposed to make up for qualifying mistakes in a race not not in a race before the race like it just it it doesn't make any sense to me man like i don't hate it it's not something that completely ruins my enjoyment of the sport it's just one of those things that i'd i'd rather wish weren't there like it was kind of gimmicky it was kind of oh look at this. this is something new i wonder how this is gonna play no i've seen how it played out already i don't like it so get rid of them which they won't there's only gonna be more i don't even know where you're gonna hold something like this for it to even be entertaining it didn't work in imola it, it was kind of fun at the end when Verstappen passed Leclerc, but outside of that, it's just DRS trains. If I want DRS trains, I'll just watch the race itself. I don't need to see DRS trains the day before more DRS tra- It's fine. We'll, we'll be fine, guys. Don't worry. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of sort of in agreement with Intern. I don't agree with six races. I think the sprint races are for something, you know, you just watch and you just go, Ugh. And Imola wasn't too bad, but let's face it, the other three sprint races weren't exactly amazing. And the six, the idea, the six sprint races are a bit, no, I, I don't get them. Look, the FIA, however, have said enough of this uh, because of costs, and they've basically rejected that idea. So maybe we'll be down to three, but I think, you know, if you, it's either you do them at every race or you do them at none of them. And I, I just don't see the appeal of them. I just don't see how quali- it's not as good as qualifying. The format was fine as it was. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or if you want, maybe add a 30-minute warm-up session on Saturday, Sunday morning. Just keep me very happy. Yes. We had the whole of 2020 to test this new format. We get so 2021 to test this new format. We get the new cars. We decide to test the format again with the same number of races. I'm completely in agreement with Ed. 
bin it or commit to it. We're going to be spending 2023 with another year of this nonsense. And as interns already said, Imola, granted, is not the best best race track to try and try this like short format out but it really wasn't particularly exciting and it just adds so many question marks like you finish qualifying he's on pole but is it or, or is he we're gonna find we're gonna find out in 24 hours if the guy who was fastest in qualifying is gonna be on pole position or not will he lose pole position because he gets overtaken or because of something completely unrelated to him it's completely unfair because we're stressing these cars crazy with these long calendars just apparently every track wants a sprint race if you want to go for the commercial side of it do it at every weekend if you want to go with what the drivers want and what it seems like the fans want just bin it don't test the idea for three years so we're all big fans of the sprint race then i would i would be i would accept it if we had a le mans style start i.e the drivers run to their cars jump in and go but i don't think that's going to be possible so yeah I mean, that would take about five minutes. So I'm not really sure it'd be the most exciting of race starts, to be honest. Mm, Let's see. I mean, what's next? Reverse grid races? Don't start. Don't start. Mr. Spencer, do not start. Now, given that we are going to America next week, and we've already talked about 1984 in Dallas, American team Haas's start to the 2022 season has been impressive, but it may come as a surprise to newer F1 fans that there have been a handful of American teams throughout the history of the sport. Today, we're going to turn the clock back to the 70s and chart the rise of one such team, Penske, with Joe. With so much attention on Formula One's new expansion into the United States, it's worth remembering that the current Haas outfits are neither the first American team in the sport, nor the most successful. In fact, US teams have even won races, Dan Gurney's Anglo-American races in 1967, and nine years later, US racing legend Roger Penske saw his team win in a car coloured red, white and blue. In between a multi-front assault on NASCAR, IndyCar, and the world of sports cars, Penske threw their efforts at Formula One, first sponsoring a McLaren in 1971, and then fielding their own car and team three years later. And this wasn't a token entry. Roger Penske himself was in attendance and involved beside the track. Mark Donoghue debuted the Penske PC1 at Mossport in 1974, ahead of a full championship effort in 75. Based out of Penske's British base in Poole, the team had modest success with points finishes at Anderstorp and Silverstone, but the Penske PC1 was a troublesome beast, and the team moved to a customer March car while designing their next challenger. Donoghue's death in Austria that year prompted Penske to sign Northern Irishman John Watson as their lone driver, but 1976 would be a special season. Roger Penske had a new driver, John Watson, who had impressed with a private Brabham in 75. Practice provided a surprise when Hunt took pole position, showing he was adapting quickly to the McLaren. But he was only two hundredths of a second ahead of Lauda, and the second Ferrari of Regazzoni was third. The new boy at Penske, John Watson, was settling in well, the Northern Irish driver qualifying seventh. In view of their limited experience at the top level, it was a good result for both the driver and the team. John Watson, his first race for Penske, ended in an exciting pit stop in which the car was surrounded by confusion, Brazilian firemen and fire extinguishers. As John explained, he thought it was just going to be a routine pit stop. 
lot of bits, the car suddenly lost a lot of power. And I could smell a little bit of petrol, so I knew there was something wrong. The fuel pressure was down quite a bit, so um, I knew I had to come in at the end of that lap, but I didn't expect to be in fire when I came in. It may have used the same Cosworth DFV that powered almost the entire field, but designer Jeff Ferris had created a rough diamond in the Penske PC3, often qualifying in the top 10, but with the evolutionary PC4, he'd created a car that could excel on its day. Watson was a midfield revelation in 76, securing back-to-back podiums in France and the UK, and in Austria he converted second on the grid, only starting behind championship winner James Hunt, into the best possible start. You could have thrown a blanket over the group of Peterson, Watson, Hunt, Schechter and Nielsen, and during the first 15 laps, Watson, Peterson and Schechter all led at some time. That Austrian Grand Prix was particularly chaotic, with the lead changing cans constantly. This select leading group provided some very exciting moments, with the kind of close racing that can only take place between professionals that have complete trust in the driving abilities of their fellow drivers. But as the race carried on and the usual front runners slipped away, Watson established himself in the lead. Lafitte, who had got among the leaders at around the midpoint, passed Nielsen to take second place with 10 laps to go. Watson finally took the flag ahead of Lafitte, Nielsen and Hunt, with just 13 seconds between the four of them. One year on, and at the exact same track that had seen their last driver killed, Roger Penske's team achieved their Formula One zenith. Uh, perfect all the way, no problems at all, it, just, it seemed incredible. And that's your first ever, and you're hungry, but what's going to happen next time? You're hungry for victory? Well, I said I enjoyed this time, I'd like to do it again in Holland. Their first win, their last podium before withdrawing at the end of the season, and the last ever win for an American team in Formula One. Moreover, Watson's points in 76 were enough to net him 7th in the entire World Championship, and no American team ever since has achieved that with a driver. So, as impressive as Haas's current resurgence has been to watch, Mick and Magnussen have a long way to go before matching these one-car upstarts. And one thing I forgot to include in the script in that is that John Watson lost a bet uh, to do with that particular race. And the following morning, he had to shave off his his luscious his lustrous beard, which he'd grown for it's either nine months or nine years. The difference is quite significant, but he had to shave it off before going in front of media the day after, etc. So it's known as the race where uh, John Lo- John Watson lost a bet and his beard. And uh, shout out to John Watson. I was watching some GT World Challenge highlights recently, and he is on colour commentary despite being, I believe, 75 years of age. And, oh my God, Shannon, if he isn't one of the best colour commentators in the business, the amount of energy that guy has, he can only have been a Formula One driver. Top lad, top team. God bless Penske. Maybe we need him commentating on F1 then. In that case, I completely agree with you, Joe. Now, it has come time, gentlemen, for probably one of my favourite parts of the podcast, and that is Plonker of the Week. Who is your Plonker of the Week? Why are they your Plonker of the Week? I will probably be casting the deciding vote, but I want to hear what you guys have to say first. So, Mr. Spencer, Plonker of the Week. Mm, I'm going to say... Oh, God, this is a tough one because there wasn't really that many plonkers uh, for once. I will say the plonker of the week goes to the person who designed the crypto medals that the drivers received after the sprint. What on earth are these? Couldn't you just give them a trophy? It's hardly like they've just won a 100-meter freestyle at the Olympics. Just give them a small little trophy they can send 
auction on eBay tomorrow after the, the day after the race? Come on. Bonker of the week goes to the designer of those medals. Binham. Fair vote, fair vote. Intern, plonker of the week. Everyone at Hass except Magnuson, they ruined my life. They ruined my they ruined my life, I swear. Everyone was on softs. Every, the whole grid was on softs. You know who wasn't on softs? Both Hass drivers. Why was Magnuson, who started fourth, only three seconds ahead of Mick at the end of the sprint? Why? Because he was on mediums and fell through the pack, was swallowed up by the soft runners. Then Mick... As if it sees, as if his, as if his weekend wasn't going bad enough already, he spins on lap one and takes out Alonso, continuing his bad luck stretch, and then he just does it again later in the race for no reason. He didn't take anybody out, but it was still embarrassing to watch. Listen, Mick, I was just messing earlier in the intro. I don't hate you or nothing, but like you, you ruined my life. I swear, you ruined my life. You and the hash strategists ruined my life, and it's gonna take a while for my life to come back to where it used to be. Right, P9 is fine. That's two points. It could have been way more than that if this, if, if y'all had just planned things a bit different. Joe, plonker of the week. Oh, I've got a couple of good ones. I'm really glad that Intern singled that Mick Schumacher. There are only three drivers in this championship still yet to score points. One of them is Nicholas Latifi, Kel Surprise. The other is Nico Hülkenberg, who's not even full-time. The other is Mick Schumacher, in a genuinely competitive Haas, who's had circumstances go his way. Mate, this isn't good enough. The only thing protecting him after these f- first few races is the speculation of, if this, if this is how far Mick is behind Magnussen, how awful was Mazepin throughout the whole of last year? If if Mick keeps this up, then his future at Haas is in question. Never mind part of the Ferrari Junior program. But I will also single out a man who wasn't on the grid, although he perhaps still thinks he could be on the grid. Colour commentator Paul DeResta for his repeatedly boring and shocking commentary this weekend. The first corner incident with Carlos Sainz. How can you talk yourself increasingly into thinking Carlos Sainz is to blame in the face of the overwhelming visual evidence in front of you? Mate, Sainz is blameless in that. Paul DeResta is he's like the embodiment of F1 Twitter in commentary form. Makes an initial mistake, makes a terrible take, is presented with overwhelming evidence, does not change. Bring back Martin Brundle, or as we've already suggested, John Watson, because he was actually a relevant Formula One driver. Can I just quickly, before we go on, can I also add uh, just one last nominee? Since Joe has had two, um, I would like to add in the person in charge of the Imola car parks because they were completely sodden by the end of the first day and they were ruined. And when you've got car media car parks and to you and to get the tractors in to get the media out. Mm, you've kind of turned the place into Silverstone 2.0. So they get my extra nominee in Plogway. But I will just add a quick uh, nominee for next colour commentator, Nico Rosberg. Now that's a pundit who can talk some sense. I'm going to have to agree with Joe on Paul DeResta. Another thing that has very much annoyed me this week, to be honest, and I believe Nico Rosberg was guilty of this as well, is for some reason they keep calling Guan Yu Zhou zoo and it's driving me mad however hopefully someone can fix that because it's really it's one syllable guys it's it's not that hard someone someone needs to tell them correct them for the love of god however 
I am actually going to cast the deciding vote here for Plonker of the Week. And for me, it's also going to Mick Schumacher for the reasons that Joe has already explained and Intern has already explained he really needs to fix up especially for someone who came into this sport with so many high hopes behind him and great expectations i appreciate it's a very big name to live up to but come on it's getting a bit ridiculous now and i think that magnuson is really showing him up and perhaps it was easier for him to hide last year when his only competition was nikita mazaspin so Plonker of the week, officially, officially, the award is going to Mick Schumacher this week, although we have had some very worthy nominees. So thank you, gentlemen. But that does bring us to the end of the podcast. So dear listeners, thank you for sticking around for this long. I would invite you to write us a review on Apple iTunes if you feel so inclined. We'd be greatly appreciative. We also have a YouTube channel. So search for and subscribe to, obviously, the Race Directors podcast. You can watch some more of our content and some of our little side bits. Tell your friends. Also, send them a link, share the podcast, get them involved. We'd really love to have more of you here. And if you do want to get involved in the show, you can follow us on Twitter at race underscore directors or like us on Facebook at the Race Directors podcast. We're going to be posting updates, memes, little tidbits here and there. And we'd love to have you as part of the community. So, gentlemen, thank you for coming. I will see you in a couple of weeks when we will have a Miami race to dissect. Say goodnight. Oh, we're still recording. Is there time for me to respond to Ed's butchering of my language? Ed, one more butchering of my language and I am coming over to Staffordshire and I'm duolingoing you until you sort this out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.